0: This is episode 98 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into the show, I do want to thank patron for the podcast, Clifford Hughes. Because Clifford signed up for the podcast, what he's able to get is exclusive audio from every single podcast, as well as a free sticker, a thank you card from me. Not only that, but access to free webinars when they become available and scheduled to the patrons of the podcast. So all that that Clifford gets for just $5 a month. We have different tiers that fit your budget, five, 10 and $20. So if you're interested in signing up to support the podcast so it can continue to bring you the best photographers on the planet week after week, go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up to support the podcast there with a tier that fits your budget and with some of the benefits that fit what you want to get out of that platform. So thank you so much, Cliff. In today's podcast, we're talking with Brian Minnier. Now, I was introduced to Brian via Twitter and I knew of him for a long time, but once we started interacting a lot, I got to know his story a little bit more. But, but one of the things that I love about doing the podcast is I never really know what's coming during a discussion and I frame it up that way on purpose. I never know what questions I'm going to ask beforehand, and I always tell the guests, hey, this could go in any direction possible. Brian and I talk about some really hard stuff that happened in his life, directions that turned specific ways because of that hard trial and tribulation that he went through at a very young age, and how it led him down the road to photography. So, Before you listen to this, let me just say thank you to you, Brian, who were vulnerable enough to share that. I know after we got off, Brian and I talked a little bit that he had never really shared that in an interview before, and it was a little bit emotional for him, which is hard to do, but I'm so grateful for the guests that we have on and the way that they open up about their journey in life journey to photography and what their images mean to them through their experiences the landscape photography show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography it's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos so sit back relax and enjoy the show Hey, everybody. We're here with Brian Minier. Brian's joining us from Michigan today. Brian, welcome into the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm excited to be here. Let's get everybody on the same page, right? Jumping off from the start, fill us in on how you actually got started with your photography journey um, and maybe a few of the steps that kind of led you to where you are right now.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I started, you know, it's interesting. So I'm a full-time designer. So um, I've listened to a few of your episodes. I know like one of the last episodes I listened to was one of my favorites, Miles Morgan. So obviously like he's got the full-time pilot thing. Um, I'm a full-time designer and that's actually how I kind of started into photography. I was pursuing my bachelor's degree in college and obviously pursuing a fine arts degree. Like I get to take lots of different photography-centric classes. I fell in love with photography in the dark room. And initially, I was only really interested in shooting digit like with a digital camera because I was doing a lot of design work uh, for bands at the time. So like certain, you know, bands would request that I take pictures of them. Or, you know, I was I was really into and probably still am, just very like grungy, you know, kind of textures and stuff like that. So rather than digging Uh, through the, you know, the World Wide Web to find like free textures, I, you know, wanted to shoot my own. So I ended up, you know, uh, you know, getting my own digital camera and kind of finding my way. I found uh, strobus.com and David Hobby and taught myself off camera lighting and went down that path for a really long time. I freelanced in both kind of design and photo stuff, shot weddings and portraits and did that whole grind until about... 2014 ish, when I got my first real like full time job as a graphic designer, um, I decided if I was going to continue down the like portrait and wedding photography rabbit hole, uh, I was probably just going to end up quitting within a year or two because I was getting so burnt out. I'm very much a just a creative at heart. I hate the business side of things. You know, uh, it, it's just I don't know. It's always been just a real like, uh, pressure point for me is just figuring out how to have, you know, obviously like successful, I have a lot of successful friends that are in that, that like portrait photography world and they know how to like build up, you know, a team around them that excels in those areas. And I've never been particularly good at that sort of thing. So, uh, long story short, I decided, hey, I'm going to, you know, put this design degree to use. I'm going to get a full-time job and I'm going to chase this like landscape photography passion. I had no I had no goals really. I just wanted to like learn to be a landscape photographer. You know, I, I kind of found people like Ryan Dyer and, and Miles Morgan, and then from them found like Mark Adamus and, and those kinds of, you know, landscape photographers and thought like, that's the kind of stuff that I want to do, but I need to figure out how to do that living in a place that sucks like the Midwest. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up where I am. You know, I was, Couple years into my journey, when I got some validation from Fujifilm, they reached out to me because I had switched over to their system um, and, you know, was doing things with it and posting about it online and kind of grew that relationship into uh, being an ambassador for them for the past five years now, almost six years. So that's been like incredible. Like I said, when I first started, it was really just to chase the passion. and, and it's led me down this like crazy rabbit hole that, I mean, it's just been an amazing journey so far.
0: Well, you mentioned Ryan and Miles in the same sentence. You know, mentioning them together is going to start up. <laughs> I know. Some long dialogue between the two. Oh yeah. They have
1: nothing, but it's funny. I love listening to their banter because that's exactly how me and my friends are with each other. Uh, I, I just recently switched a friend of mine over to Fujifilm from Sony. And he's still like, even though he's been shooting with like an X-T3 for, I don't know, like a, over a year now, like a year and a half to two years now, he'll still text me every once in a while and just be like, man, I'm really kind of missing my Sony right now, just to
0: like, <laughs> just to rattle me. It's it's amazing, but I love that. Well, let's start with your graphic design. I want to talk a little bit about that since it's such a big part of who, who you are uh, and what you do. W- what pushed you in that direction? Oh, that's a great question and I
1: probably I don't even know if I know the answer to it. So, I am from Ohio. I'm from a very very rural area in Ohio. I grew up like 10 minutes across the border of West Virginia. So, like southeastern Ohio where there really isn't anything. There aren't really any big cities. You know, I I'd have to drive like 2 hours to Columbus if I wanted to go to a big city. Um, and so my high school was just tiny. You know, I talked to my wife and who went to like a, a really big high school here in Michigan. And, you know, it was like a college, you know, they had options for classes. We we had nothing. I had like art one through art four. I had one choice of uh, foreign language, which was French. I couldn't even take Spanish. Um, so I, I just, I didn't have like, it just uh, options presented to me. So thankfully, I feel like through just a series of, of fortunate events, you know, I had this crazy thing happen to me my, my junior year of high school. It was like going into winter of my junior year. Uh, I got diagnosed with this crazy autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, I ended up paralyzed and in the hospital for close to four months and ended up, you know, losing a ton of weight having to relearn how to walk and eat and just, you know, swallow food again. Um, And so that kind of knocked me off of this high school football journey, you know, thinking I was going to go to college, you know, for maybe business or just something very generic uh, just to play sports. And that kind of knocked me out of that. And I found art in this way specifically just because my i had a really great inspirational uh, art teacher and you know he had said kind of i think it was towards the beginning of my senior year he's like you know my the school that i went to which is just this tiny private school in the hills of ohio um just started a graphic design program he's like you love computers you know you're you're into art i think that would be really good for you so i just kind of started You know pushing into it then i had all all kind of along the way through high school i'd steal my dad's crappy digital cameras and and take photos and and you know whatever software i could get my hands on just try to edit things or try to play with things digitally i obviously as most of us had in the past pirated photoshop um and kind of taught myself a little bit about photoshop and so yeah, I went into this kind of design program not even knowing if it was something I was going to fully enjoy. I don't even know if I could have told you what graphic design was when I first started, but uh, thankfully it was the right path. And unlike many college kids, I stuck with uh, stuck with it my entire you know four years I was there.
0: What did having Guillain-Barre change for you in terms of your outlook on life?
1: It was oh man. It was crazy because, you know, I was, I was like severely, (laughs) severely drugged most of the time because what guillain Beret does is you're essentially, I mean, to, to put it in the simplest terms, your immune system attacks your nervous system. So if you've ever felt like that pins and needles feeling when like your arm or your leg falls asleep or something, I basically had that in my entire body all at once and it felt like stabbing knife pain. So like I can remember a few times when, you know, I'm laying in my hospital bed and my mom would like brush up against me as she walked by. Br- brush up against my foot and it literally felt like she was chopping my leg off. Um so just dealing being being like a 17-year-old kid and dealing with this like I mean there basically I had some movement in my wrist, so I had a letter board at one point. Um where I could like spell things out to communicate with people because I was obviously like, I had a ventilator and everything, so I couldn't speak. Um, and I mean, my mom had told me like, after the fact, you know, there were several times going through the worst of it where I had just told her that I wanted to die because the pain was too bad. Um, so I think going through something like that when you're so young and you don't even really understand, what is happening to you and then coming out the other side with a positive outlook. I think going into it, I was, I was very much this like angsty uh, melodramatic teenager, you know, as, as we all want to be in high school. And I was very negative. And I think, Going through that, I, I kept I – re- I remember specifically when I was kind of in my – in rehab, in the rehab phase, uh, I had a, a psychiatrist who would come to see me who would kind of – he was like always wanting to coach me to say, you know, you're having some good days now. It's going to be a long road to recovery. Uh, you, you're going to encounter some bad days. I'm here so that on your bad days, like, it, you don't spiral And I can, I was like, dude, I'm not going to have any bad days. Like I'm going to kick this thing. I'm, I'm just, I'm on my way. Like I, something changed in me when I saw like a light at the end of the tunnel and I just wanted to be like a normal kid again. And I think that's something that stuck with me more than anything is having gone through something like that. Um, I mean, I, there were several times I like I coded, I've, you know, officially died (laughs) and come back to life. Um, Just knowing that I've survived that kind of thing and and it's like I'm past it, it just kind of has opened up this new outlook for me where I don't want drama in my life. I don't, you know, I just want to be a positive influence to other people. I want to live my life to the fullest. And, um, you know, now that I'm a father, to a five year old, like that's the kind of thing I still have. I mean, he's obviously too young to understand anything I just said, but like I'm trying to instill in him, like, look, this is we, what we have is like super precious and it can be taken from us at any minute. And like we need to just live like it's our last day at all times and just, you know, not sweat the small stuff. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I've taken away
0: from the whole ordeal. Do you think that if you hadn't gone through that? You would take so much of what you have for granted
1: that's hard to say. I feel like I would be on an entirely different life path had that not happened to me you know like I said, I was kind of the football star growing up. I was being recruited by schools to play football. I probably would have you know gone that direction I don't I don't know to what degree of success I would have had um, but you know, the schools that I would have gone to were wildly different than the schools that I ended up going to, and it wouldn't have been focused on art. And I doubt my career in the sports industry or anything would have been anything long-term. So I feel like it probably, you know, had all that stuff not happened to me when it did, I probably wouldn't. I mean, obviously you can't say for certain, but I, I just feel like I'm, I have no regrets, you know, like it's, I feel like I'm I'm very happy with my life now and I can't imagine it any other way and I can't imagine not having that kind of shock outlook just because I know how depressive and and you know just I just wasn't in a great mindset, you know, before I had the disease. So I think that really shocked me out of that and it was kind of a wake up call to this new way of living that I really doubt I would have found until much later in life otherwise.
0: In terms of graphic design and going that route and bringing it back full circle to photography, how does graphic design help you with your photography? It's, you know, I think as a
1: designer, and I'm I'm very much, I mean, I dabble in like web design. I'm very much like a print layout, logo, brand identity, you know, that kind of designer and have been all along. And I think a lot of what design is to me is problem solving. And a lot in and, and just color theory and, you know, attention to detail and composition. You know, I think nothing has helped me more with my uh, how to compose a photographic scene than like laying out type on a page, oddly enough. And I think I go back and forth. You know, there'll be times when I I shoot something uh, and I think, oh, this, like if I compose in this way, like it can help me with this particular, to solve this particular design problem on a layout I'm working on or vice versa. I think there's just so many things where, you know, composition has always kind of been first and foremost to me and that's one of the most basic things you know as a designer that you're kind of presented with when you first approach anything so I think you know along the way it kind of helped me and again like when I was learning to be a designer I was a wildly different photographer I was focused more on like photographing people and events and stuff um but it was really when I started landscape photography, I was pretty seasoned designer at that point. And I think it it helped me to kind of quickly find, maybe not necessarily, you know, you, I look at, you know, other landscape photographers work and think, man, I, like, I don't shoot anything like them. You know, I don't think I've ever used like wildflowers in the foreground of any of my images. It's just not how I think about comp- comp- like composing things a lot of the times not saying it's bad i I love looking at that sort of stuff but I think it's just influenced me in a different way. And I definitely have kind of this unique uh, perspective. And sometimes I even think it's a little bit one note. Like I use a lot of like single point perspective um, and and centered subjects. And it's funny. I have a a, a, like kind of a group of people that I'll I'll bounce feedback off of. And uh, (laughs) one of the images I I shared with them, it was um, I think a spot you recently been to. I went to uh, in January. I went to um, Southern Utah. And I have this, this image that I shot of like the main toadstool there, uh, just perfectly centered in frame. And I, you know, I shared it with the group and they're like, why is it so centered? And I'm like, I don't know. That's just how I, that's my brain. That's just how I compose and how I see things. Um, so I think maybe it's to my detriment that <laughs> I have this kind of very specific, uh, unique way of looking at things. But whether I like it or not, like that's how I see the world. And I, I honestly love that that's how I see the world, that it's so kind of influenced by, um, you know, my design skills that I've, I've come to develop
0: over the years. Well, well, it's funny you talking about your style and how you see things and, and also going back to, to your inspirations and some of the photographers that you looked at when you were getting into it. You mentioned Ryan and Miles. That's completely different. Like when you said wildflowers in the foreground, I immediately went to Ryan's portfolio from Glacier, or Mount Rainier, or places like that. And, and you're saying even though they gave you inspiration, your look is completely different almost from theirs. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I I remember
1: when I first found Ryan and I think I found Ryan through, I can't even remember exactly. I remember going on his website like way, way long ago. Um, I I had a friend, so I've been using Twitter for a really long time and I have a a friend from the Pacific Northwest named Joe and me and Joe found each other on Twitter. And, uh, just a long time ago, he was one of the first people I ever, you know, another photographer friend that I ever communicated with on social media. And I remember him, I don't remember if he knows Ryan or he like, he knows someone who knows Ryan. I don't remember how that works, but he, I think he was the one that introduced me to Ryan's work. And immediately, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yep, this is like, I was a portrait photographer. I'm like, no, this is like, this is the kind of stuff that I want to do. And so, you know, a lot of that, Kind of work that I found along the way, I tried to emulate, but at the same time, I wasn't tra- like I was a portrait photographer, so I wasn't traveling. You know, I wasn't thinking I'm going to go on this trip to this national park to shoot something. So I was kind of just stuck in the Midwest trying to figure out how to tell a visually because when I see an image from a landscape photographer like that, I think. It, it's not so much like a visual language as like an emotional attachment that I I feel towards something. Mm. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is figuring out, not necessarily, I mean, I was trying to emulate their visual style for sure. And I was failing spectacularly just because we did, we I didn't have that kind of epic mountain scenery around me. Um, but a lot of it was, okay, I don't have that, but what can I do to, to develop my own visual style and what can I do so that I can form the same sort of emotional attachment to my images that I get when I see an image like that. And I, so I think a lot of that's where my entire style has come from is just me trying and looking at other people and, and, you know, being attached to someone else's work, but then, you know, trying to figure out how to do that Makes, I kind of have always said along the way, like I'm j- always trying to make something out of nothing here. Um, and so that's kind of my basis for everything.
0: Well, let's stay on this topic. I, I find it really interesting listening to what you're talking about, especially bringing up southern Utah or places in the Pacific Northwest when we talk about those places, we have a specific composition idea in our mind of, of what we see or what we have seen in our past and what we expect to see when we get there. You wrote a a blog post on your website talking about trophies versus memories. Um, what did you mean by that? Yeah. Um, that was a fun one. (laughs) I, uh,
1: I think at that point, I had just finished a trip to uh, Badlands National Park with some of my favorite people, uh, some of the guys that I shoot with the most, my friend Jim and my friend Craig. And we we had this just entire experience where after work, like we all work full time, after work one day, you know, we decided to road trip. Like I drove, picked up Jim, drove, we picked up Craig in Chicago, and then we, you know, 22 hours later, we're in the Badlands. Like we didn't stop. Uh, we rode in like right at sunrise, like we stopped, take some pictures, uh, checked into our little, you know, uh, spot. It was said it was a cabin, but it was really just like a two by two, a shed made of two yeah. by fours, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was perfect for what we needed. It was just hilarious. But um, yeah, so I had this this experience with them. And the whole time, you know, I'm, because I'm a Fujifilm ambassador, like I always have way more gear with me than I need. Like, and I think right before that trip, I had, I kind of had everything planned out. And then at the last minute, they're like, Hey, we have this lens coming out. Like, can you take it with you? And it turns out it's like this 200 millimeter F2 gargantuan beast of a lens, Mm -hmm. which was fun to shoot with. But like, I mean, it was massive. (laughs) And so I, I kind of had to change uh, a lot of my plan to shoot content for them. But so my whole mindset along the way was, okay, I have this little X100 camera that's like, you know, got a 30, a 23 millimeter fixed lens, which is a 35 millimeter full frame equivalent lens. Like, I'm just going to document the trip. I'm going to document like us in the car. I'm going to document our little terrible cabin. I'm going to, you know, because a lot of what I'd noticed, I'd done a few trips leading up to this one and like i had always come i had come home with those trophies but like the thing that i loved about the trip the most were you know being there with my friends joking with my friends the little flubs along the way like i i just listened to that episode like i said with miles morgan and he talked about how him and ryan you know when they're out they're just complaining the whole time and that's kind of their thing but then when they get back they're like that was just amazing. You know what I mean? And so I think I, I photography is such a powerful thing. And I think this is another thing that I draw from this experience I had when I was 17. I don't have like any memories of that because I was either drugged up or, you know, I don't remember a lot of it. I'm just relying on what other people are telling me that I went through. Um, You know, this was pre Smartphone. This was I was what would have been 2008, I think, when it was all happening. So like it was pre like phones having good uh, cameras. And I mean, regardless, my mom would not. She still can't even take photos, and she has an iPhone. Whatever. <laughs> um, so I don't have you know really anything to remind me of this experience that I had. Um, and while so much of what I have done as a landscape photographer has been like the antithesis of that, you know, I, I, one of my favorite quotes from Ansel Adams is like, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's essentially like ordinary photographers, like when they take a picture, it's, it's a reminder of an experience. What an art photographer does is they create this inspired moment. So, you know, up until this point of this Badlands trip, I had been like, after these inspired moments. And what I'd realized is there's room for the others. There's room for the, the memories, you know, I want to look back on things you know, with my son that are just these mundane, ordinary moments uh, that aren't just the epic posed perfect shot. Um, and so I think taking the time to document along the way um, gave me this uh, just different mindset. And, and it's something that I've kind of taken with me. And I wrote that blog post uh, and it's kind of specifically about that trip, but it's something that I've kind of taken you know even since then that was 2018 I think is when we did that trip so even three years later it's something that you know I always have a camera with me I'm always shooting I you know I, we talk a lot um, on Twitter or just in in group chats about like hard drive space and what you know what you need to back up and all this stuff and like I I know it's expensive to have a lot but it's worth it to me to be able to you know go back and re relive these moments, not just like the memories that I had of them, but like these photographs, these reminders of experience that I had, um, you know, with my friends or with my family along the way. So I think that was, that was something that kind of changed for me um, in a big way back in 2018.
0: Is that also what drove you to
1: document the life of your son? Probably. I mean, he was born in 2016 Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I have like photos of him from, you know, I had a camera with me the day that he was born and I have those first, like literally the first photo I ever took of him and it's backed up in probably four different places just because I'm like paranoid that some, you know, something Mm -hmm. is going to happen. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, like that also helped me to figure out like, Hey, like look at, you can look back on all these memories with your family. Like you can look back on other things as well. Like, again, it's not just about the trophies. You know, there's so many of these like amazing moments that exist to create the stories of our lives. And for so long, I was just very hyper focused on the trophy. And I think that's fine. That's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's just given me a different person. I think becoming a dad kind of gave me a different perspective on life entirely. Um, and yeah, so that's definitely, you know, I, I, I feel like even yesterday I was like, Oh, I didn't take a single photo of my son yesterday or not yesterday. Cause I did take a photo of him. But like the day before that, I was like, I don't think I took a single photo of miles today. That's weird. Um, <laughs> and it's it was like definitely the exception, not the rule. And I don't know. I don't know when if it becomes too much, but it's you know, it's I just have this love of moments and time and freezing this for eternity. I don't know. There's just something there that has always, always just felt right to me. Um, and then that's probably the the biggest reason that I love photography as much as I do.
0: We've talked about Miles Morgan. You just mentioned your son's name is Miles. I mean. <laughs> don't, don't. No, we can't. He's pro- <laughs> He probably
1: is not going to hear this, but no, Miles, I did not name my son after you. I just love Miles Davis and I'm the biggest jazz fan. Um, so that's where the inspiration for Miles's name came from.
0: We're talking about, you know, graphic design and and what that gives you as a creative. We're talking about a little bit of your style, uh, documenting. It it brings up the question for me, are are we approaching an age in photography and, and let's say landscapes specifically where we're starting to merge documentation, adventure, um graphic design into our post-processing are, are we reaching more of a gray area in photography in general rather than genre specific photography? Probably
1: um the one the one element of my angsty teenageness that I never shed was my hatred of like genres and categorization and that stuff like I've just never I mean it's hard for me looking at what I do compared to like more traditional landscape photographers like I have my moments where what are the comparisons I'm just I don't know I just feel like it's hard for me to even consider myself a landscape photographer sometimes I mean I am photographing landscapes but if you look at how you know landscape photographers of the pass through now compose you know maybe it's a little different i'm not saying i'm doing something completely unique i just it's hard but i think the answer to your question is definitely like i think everything eventually is just going to be you know i mean people are always going to try to gener- to categorize things and try to put it in a certain box but i think the beauty of art is kind of existing outside of those boxes. And especially now where, you know, we all have access to just insane amounts of technology, whether it's, it's drones or cameras on our phones or whatever, you know, I think the lines are always going to, they're just going to continue to get blurrier and blurrier. And, you know, even with, I mean, look at what some photographers that have started learning applications like Blender are doing now, you know, I think one of the things I started learning Cinema 4D to aid like what I was doing with my design work. And quickly I was like, oh, I wonder if there's like a unique way where I can pair what I do with photography with this 3D program that I'm learning and kind of chase down that rabbit for a little bit. Nothing ever came from it. But I think eventually, you know, I feel like, yeah, everything's just going to get just way blurrier and blurrier. And I think I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I think there are obviously like traditionalists that are gonna kind of war against, you know, I, I constantly have people telling me that I'm not a photographer, I'm a digital artist or whatever. I'm like, I don't care. I I really don't care. Like you call me whatever you want. I just want to make art that I love. Like and that's kind of the basis of everything that I do. You know, as long as I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm like growing as an artist. Um, I'm I'm pretty happy with myself Um, so yeah I don't know if that answered your question
0: but hopefully it did well enjoyment What, what do you love or enjoy about the landscape I think
1: it goes back to like moments for me you know especially here in the Midwest where we don't have I mean don't get me wrong there's nothing I love better than like going to like Utah, and just seeing this something that's totally foreign to me from a kid from the Midwest. You know, I grew up near like the Appalachian Mountains, like I could go into West Virginia and get mountains, but it's not like, you know, bare rock face, crazy Mm -hmm. alien landscape desert, like that kind of stuff calls out to me. But just because of like, I'm a low, you know, where I live, because I have a full time job, because I'm a family guy, like I don't get to just travel as a landscape photographer as much as I'd like. Um, I think, you know, for me here, a lot of it has to do with just spontaneity. And, you know, there's, let me put it this way. So when I, my last trip in January, I went to Arizona and I spent, you know, four and a half days like road tripping around Arizona, going to all these spots. Like I meticulously planned out like, okay, here's where I'm gonna be for the first day maybe the sunset doesn't pan out. So I'm going to end up here. But if the sunset pans out, then I'm going to end up here. So I meticulously planned out this whole trip down to like a plan C and D, you know, in case the conditions weren't right. When I'm here in the Midwest, it's, it's really just about going out and trying to find something. I have no idea what I'm looking for. And I think that's kind of some of the most fun for me, you know. I'd say 90% of the time I go out and I don't find what I'm looking for, but at least I got to be out and looking and kind of honing my eye and just, just being out in nature and experiencing, you know, everything around me Um, and just kind of taking it in and synthesizing it. Um, And then, you know, that 10% of the time, like last night when I'm out and this crazy storm just sneaks up, literally sneaks up behind me. And all of a sudden I turn around and the sky's black And it's just like, where the heck did that come from? And it's just those little, like, beautiful surprises that you get to capture that you could never have planned for. Like, those are the kinds of things that I think are the most fun for me, more so than any amount of, you know, completely planned out perfect conditions happening.
0: Do you ever get back to where you grew up to go shoot? I mean, because West Virginia, if you're getting in there right across from the border of Ohio, that's chock full of a lot of great spots no one knows about. Yeah, for sure. I do,
1: and I I used to a lot more. Like, we would go back, because it's about a four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour drive for us to get back down there. But, I mean... It used to be like three or four times a year we would go visit my family, and I'm I'd be you know up early every morning before everybody woke up to shoot a sunrise, or out late every night to shoot the stars. Like I think that inspired a lot of that kind of explore, ex- exploratory vision, or whatever you want to call it, within me. I think just knowing how much is there that like nobody has probably ever photographed before. Like that's super exciting to me. Um, and you're right. Like I love like West Virginia is one of my favorite States. It's just unbelievable. And it's a very photographed place. Like, but, um, for the past two out of the past three years, I've done a fall color trip in West Virginia with some of my friends and it's been just amazing.
0: In terms of like, you've mentioned Fuji several times. Um, and they're not gonna get a dime out of me for mentioning <laughs> their name on this podcast. But what what is like carrying a Fuji camera give you that, that it did that it hadn't given you before?
1: It's an interesting question. Um I think, you know, a lot of my journey as a portrait photographer was shooting with like a full frame canon. I started on the original 5D, not like I didn't start on the original 5d but i would consider that like my first pro ish level camera um and then graduated to the 5d mark ii and then the 5d mark iii and so i think you know i just there was like a there was an association tied to those cameras that they were for like the work that i was doing at the time And so when the original X100 came out, which is this just little, I didn't even, I just saw it, you know, they announced it at Photokina, I think in like 2011 or 2012. And I saw it on somebody's Twitter, probably Zach Arias. And I was like, I don't even know what specs that has or what it does, but it looks amazing and I want to carry it. Like it was like, it kind of signified the shift where I had been like a super, you know, I, I remember at the time it was like, if you'd buy like a sigma lens you'd th- you'd be on the forums like did i get a sharp copy here let me compare it to yours everything was about sharpness 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 and this and that and pixel peeping and so i think seeing that camera like changed something inside of me and so i bought that camera and it kind of just changed the course of my career around the same time that's when i'm switching i'm like wanting to change gears from portraits to landscapes so it almost happened naturally, where I just gravitated towards the smaller, more fun to carry cameras for the the personal work that I wanted to do. and then it just continued to grow. like as the camera system evolved and got better, like I got better with it and then to the to, to a point where you know I'd have I had a few like residual weddings or whatever that I was hanging around for. I kept my cannons around, but eventually just kind of switched over entirely and was like, hey, I can dump all this cannon gear. Um, so I think it, whether I meant for it to happen, I don't, I don't know. I don't even want to say that. I didn't mean for it to happen, but like, those cameras just had a playfulness and like a draw that, you know, happened along the same times of my kind of focus shift to landscapes. And so they just became my go-tos. And, um, I think, you know, the, the thing, and I mean, it's very, it is what it is. But like for me being able to, the camera's not even on, I can look at it and I can see what aperture, what shutter speed and what ISO, like I can adjust all that stuff while the camera's off because they have that physical, you know, I'm very much. And I think a lot of it comes back to the designer in me. Like I love collecting old cameras. I love that connection to the past. So the Fujifilm system, having that kind of physical dial retro look Play all of that played into it for me, and and it it just worked out that they were the cameras that I reached for. You know, as this the landscape photography career kind of grew and grew, and then I was lucky enough that I caught their attention, and yeah, it's just been a weird ride ever since.
0: Let me ask you this, I. I, I, it could get dangerous here and, and thankfully it didn't. Uh, I put out a tweet before we came on and I haven't looked at all the replies since we've been talking, but every single reply to the question that I put out, what should I ask Brian in our interview was, why does he hate the color green? <laughs> of course it
1: is. Oh man, that's too funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I hate the <laughs> color green so much. It's it's funny because it it started as a running joke on Instagram. Um, you know, obviously, like as I'm as I'm developing my style, like a lot of my style revolves around a certain color palette, and that color palette comes from the fact that I just really love shooting sunrises and sunsets. So everything tends to be orange, red yellow, you know, I don't shoot a lot of blue skies. I don't shoot a lot of just like normal green midday light. Um, so I think over time (laughs) I shot more and more a certain way and people started joking like that you hate the color green. So Mm -hmm. I just leaned into it like, yeah, I hate the color green. I started shooting infrared so that I could maximize like, I don't have to shoot, you know, like I hit a certain point where I just couldn't figure out how to shoot during the day. Even if I had, even if I wanted to go out and shoot, I was like, I just don't even know how. So I got an infrared camera so that I could, you know, shoot black and white or turn my greens to reds and then, you know, play, play it that way. But so yeah, it's just something that I've leaned into. And, and to be clear, I hate green in my own work, not necessarily other people's work. So Mm. that, that's something I want to make clear because a lot of the time Uh, somebody will tag me in an image that's like super green and be like, Hey, Brian, what do you have to say about this? And I'm like, (laughs) I mean, it's beautiful. It's awesome. I'm just glad I didn't have to take it, you know, cause I really don't know what I would do. People. The biggest joke is that I've never shot the Aurora before. I honestly have no idea what I would do if I was shooting the Aurora. I'd probably be just so in awe of what was happening that I wouldn't care at all what color it was.
0: How do you hope to leave an impact on the world with your work? Oh, that's a really hard question. You know, I think
1: I think a lot of what I want to leave is it, it' it all it all goes back to that kind of positive outlook and also just discovery. and you know you don't have to travel to these epic locations to be a good photographer. I think we all get caught up in that. I get caught up in that a lot. I mean, I'm so burnt out because of COVID and everything. I haven't gotten to travel near as much as I usually do. So I'm I'm to the point now where I'm like, if I don't get a trip on my calendar, I'm gonna like blow up. It's gonna, it's not gonna be pretty. But like I think, you know, anytime I'm teaching or I'm I'm just doing a talk, one of the things that I like to make clear is like, hey, look, you know. 50 to 60% of the stuff that I'm showing you right now, the images that I'm sharing are from a place that like, isn't that great looking? (laughs) So it's possible to create and by whatever means necessary, like that's another big thing is, you know, going back to my hatred of categorization and genres. Like I just really don't like people telling other people how to take pictures or what they should do. And I think a license to, you know, Experiment and create and just find your own way as an artist is probably the most power. It's like that's way more powerful than having owning the best camera gear is just, you know, having a a drive and a creative, you know, direction that you want to go and kind of stumbling along the way until you figure it out. Because that's all I did. And I still really have not figured it out. I look back on some of my photos and I'm just like, what in the world was I doing? But you know, it's it's all led me to a point where, you know, I'm, I'm just continually growing. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, it's more important than having the best lens or having this and that. I think just g- having a vision and continuing to grow as an artist and, and just having confidence in yourself and not being afraid that, you know, somebody else is going to hate on you for, for doing something a little weird and different.
0: What led you to take your break from social media that you're in right now? Oh, that's a good question. That I was just,
1: I got in this mode where I just, I love Twitter so much. And I love this community that I have built and that, that has kind of, uh, I've, I've found my way into, and I just hit a point where I mean, I love sharing other people's work, but I hit a point where I realized, like, I'm I'm so much in this mindset of, like, sharing other people's work, and then I'm looking at other people's work, and then I'm, like, I'm burning out because I'm realizing, like, I'm not really shooting because I'm spending all my time working or dadding or just on Twitter sharing photos, and all of it just kind of caught up to me, and – I just was having this mental break where I was like, I can't if I like if I have to continue down this path for any longer, like I'm I'm going to end up like blowing up on somebody for something completely stupid or, you know, just I don't know. I, I just really needed to like turn off all my notifications and kind of start with a blank slate and take some time. And I don't even know how long. Initially, I thought like a week would be good. But now that I'm, you know, three or four days into it, I'm like really just now starting to feel like I'm weaned off. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to be. I can't see myself going for a really long time just because of FOMO. But uh, yeah, I just feel like it's really important, you know, to – I if if there's anything that I'm going to take from this, it's that maybe this break is going to be a little bit longer. But in the future – it needs to be a little more regular. You know, maybe it's a couple days a week or maybe it's one day a week or, you know, whatever it is. I need to figure that out. But I think it's it's very helpful to, you know, get outside of that bubble of what everyone else is doing and kind of refocus on what you're doing. And, you know, like I said, yesterday I got out, well, actually for the past couple days, I've been out shooting like more than I have been for the past few weeks and it's felt really good to kind of return to that and just kind of gain some perspective and and focus on where i'm at, what i want to do moving forward and you know because all all in all like my identity as a photographer as a person like it it doesn't if involve my twitter presence at all or my instagram presence at all, right? It's it's way more, you know, it should be way more personal and it should be way more like just a, a, an internal focus rather than like an, an external performative thing. I shouldn't be out shooting because I need a new set for Twitter. I should be out shooting because I just love making images, right? And I think that's kind of – I lost sight of that a little bit over the past few months. And I needed to kind of just realign myself.
0: Where can people go to find more out about
1: you? Uh, well, you can go to BrianMenear.com. Brian with a Y, -Y B-R-Y-A-N-M-I-N-E-A-R.com. That's probably the easiest place. Um, And then I'm on Twitter and at Instagram sometimes uh, at Brian Minear. So I'm taking a little break for a little while now. But if you message me, I will get back
0: to you at some point in the future. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking photography with us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. So the podcast is over right here, but it's actually still continuing over on Patreon.com slash David Johnston, where Brian and I actually continue about 25 minutes of our discussion talking about the recent craze in photography and NFTs. And the reason I wanted to talk to Brian specifically about this is not to have him try to get you to buy NFTs, buy into the idea. Brian has been in them longer than basically a a lot of people that I know in photography. So I wanted to get his thoughts on how it's changed from the beginning and kind of where he sees it going. I thought the discussion was really interesting and different than some of the other people that I've talked to about this part of photography that's so new. Yes, be it all controversial. But I thought Brian would be a great person to have this discussion with. We also continue talking about photographic style, uh, why Brian shoots the way he does. And I thought the conversation was really beneficial. And I hope all of the patrons to the podcast get a lot out of it. So thank you so much for those who are choosing to support the podcast. Again, if you want to support the podcast and get exclusive audio like from today's episode, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston.